I want to thank all of you for uh, ministering to us this morning. It's amazing. We, uh, we lay sermon series out six months to a year in advance. And it never ceases to amaze me how the Holy Spirit prompts mornings like this where what Paul is saying in the text is exactly what they just sang about and talked about. So I'm thankful for that. I'm also thankful for, uh, for Chad. For Kevin and uh, for Neil. Yeah, I almost forgot Neil. He works here. Um, they all did a fantastic job of preaching when I was away. So please tell them so if you haven't yet. But I'm thankful for them. And why don't we just take a moment and pray before we get started. God, thank you for the, the beautiful testimonies, worship, that lead us now to these few minutes that we have to study your word. And God, I pray that you would use this time for your glory, that we would all understand the depth of your love for us and our responsibility to be workers that feed that love back to others. And so we just give you this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. You all did a really great job of helping us understand what your life was like before you met Christ. And I would ask all of us, what was life like before we met Jesus? Many of us can tell stories just like we've heard today. Others can tell stories of just an endless pursuit of some kind of happiness and wondering what, what we were really chasing. But one thing for sure, we know that it wasn't a good time. And now we have found something that lasts forever. But the truth of the matter is, is there's still a significant, overwhelming majority of our friends and neighbors and relatives that are still trapped in that pre-Christ world. They, they, they're trapped. They, they're in this world they don't know how to get out of because they bought into cultural lies. They think they can do it themselves. They have a, a, a wrong view of God and how to be saved. And so that, that majority needs someone to help them. And the statistics really bear that out. If you look at some statistics that are for Minnetonka and, and Hennepin County as a whole, we can see the majority of people are not attached to a church that live around us. According to these numbers that were just a couple of years ago, Evangelical Protestants make up 14% of the population. That's like our church. That's like Cross of Glory. That's like Redeemer Church in Minnetonka. Protestant Evangelical Churches. Mainline Protestant Churches, which would be some of the Lutheran synods, United Methodists, that type of thing, make up 16% of the population. And so if we want to be really generous... And if we want to say that all of these people right here are believers in Jesus Christ, which would probably be really generous, still at least 70% of Minnetonka residents are disconnected from the gospel in a gospel-centered church, 70%. Now, I've also heard numbers that around the lakes area here, 2% evangelical, and largely it's held in the Twin Cities metro area, 20 to 25% of people would claim to be believers in Jesus Christ. And the most frightening statistic of all is this one. 45% of those surveyed have no religious affiliation and are the fastest growing group. 
And missiologists would call these the nuns, not affiliated. And they're leaving the church in droves. And so if you want to be generous, at least 70% of our neighbors are trapped in this world, this pre-Christ world. And theologically, we know what that means. That means that if we don't deal with our sin, that sin will separate us God from, ever, from God forever, and we will spend eternity in torment away from God in just punishment for our sin. And practically speaking, we know what that means. It means that there's, there's a void. It means that there's addiction. It means that things aren't right and lives are destroyed and relationships come apart. And so we need to pay attention to what's happening in this pre-Christ world. It's up to us to make Jesus known. And we've chosen as a church to do it through community impact. But here's a warning. Is that if we're going to do this, if you're going to do this, if you're going to reach in and try to pull people out of that darkness, it will not be easy. You will have the luck, you will no longer have the luxury of thinking like culture. You'll no longer have the luxury of setting your priorities like cultural priorities. You have to remove yourself from that world. And so paradoxically and ironically, we literally have to leave the world behind in order to save it. And that's what Paul's going to get at this morning. Leaving the world behind, but then reaching back in and saving it. And so it's an exciting passage. And I want you to turn there if you would. Take your Bibles and turn to Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1. And there will be Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you. You can grab those. You can grab the Ridgewood app and download that. You'll find it in the Bibles in the pews on page number 984. And for those of you who are watching right now on live stream, welcome. And it would be great if you could find a Bible as well to follow us along. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1. So this particular section of our study in Colossians is pivotal because it marks the end of this long refutation of false teaching and Paul moving through the proper doctrine of Christ. And what's going to happen now is he's going to take the doctrine of Christ and proper theology and he's going to connect it to practical living so that we can see how to live in light of what we've just learned about Christ, his majesty, his kingship, the fact that he is sufficient for salvation. So how do we live in light of that truth? And what Paul will tell his readers to do today is to get your mind off of this world. Stop worrying about everything that goes on in this world and seek the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the gist of what Paul's going to command us to do. And there's three ways that we can do that. Number one is to remember where we came from. Number two. It's to seek the things above and not the things below. And number three, it is to be contented in Christ. And so look at the passage with me. Colossians 3, 1 through 4. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated 
at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What an amazing four verses. And the truth is so relevant for us. And so if we want to reach back in and save these people who are trapped, the first thing we need to do, number one, is we need to remember who we are and where we came from. Because if we don't remember this, then we will have no empathy and no urgency to save anybody. And even if you can't remember a time when you've been without Christ, you grew up in the church, you you accept Jesus at an early age, I applaud you for that. That's awesome. But you can still connect yourself with sin, and you can still understand what you've been saved from theologically and biblically. Now, if you look at the text here, Paul begins with the phrase in verse 1, If then you have been raised with Christ. And then, to begin verse 3, For you have died. And what Paul is saying is, We have died to our old way of living. And we have been raised in Christ to a new place, a new way, new priorities in Jesus. It's much like what Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Or what Paul wrote in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in me. It's that idea of transference. It's that idea of justification at the moment of faith. We are leaving this world and now we live in a new place with Jesus. And that happens immediately, but then the transformation process begins. And sometimes it takes a while, as you've described, it takes a while to move practically speaking, from this world to the next. We keep falling back. We struggle. But Jesus is transforming us. But salvifically, justification happens and we are immediately transferred to new life. We are raised with Jesus. We are raised with Jesus because He rose from the dead. And that is our future. That is our life. Paul wrote about this in in Romans to the church in Rome. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought, in, brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we, have, we believe that we will also live with Him. Free from sin. You all talked about freedom this morning. Teen Challenge talks about freedom. And I love Teen Challenge because it's freedom in Christ. Yes, there's a methodology, for sure, but it's freedom in Christ. It's not, we're going to equip you to go out and do this yourself. It's about Christ. Because Christ is the one that helps us, that transforms us. But we have to, we have to leave this culture behind in order to have any chance of reaching in and helping others. It reminds me of the the astronauts that spend so much time 
on the International Space Station. I'm always amazed at how long they can be up there. I'd be claustrophobic in about an hour. I'd be going, Mommy, Mommy, get me out of here. But from that space station, they can look out and they can, through their window, they can see the world. It's right there in front of them. They're orbiting the world. They can interact with the world. They can talk to people in the world. They can understand what's going on in the world. But they're not a part of the world. They're in a different dimension. They're in space. What we're, what we're commanded to do is to connect ourselves to the people who are dying here, but to remove ourselves and our thought processes from the world itself. Because these people, these people in this trap are owned by sin. They are broken by sin. They are wrecked by sin. And Jesus is the only one that can help them. And the amazing thing about Christ, if you read through Scripture in the New Testament, when Jesus healed someone, it was immediate. He didn't heal a lame person, and then they went to the hospital for a few months of recovery. They got up and took their mat and walked. When Lazarus came out of the grave, Jesus commanded him, come. And he was completely healed, though he had been dead for four days. This is what Jesus does. And so I want to challenge you, if if you've never come to grips with who Jesus is in your own life, if you are unsure if you have a relationship with Jesus, the gospel is central to what we're talking about. And the gospel is so simple. If we simply believe that, that Jesus came 100% man, 100% God, because you and I have a sin problem, all of us have a sin problem. We were born with a sin problem. And so at the mercy of the Father sent the Son, and He went to a Roman cross and was crucified and took the punishment for that sin on Himself. The punishment should have been on us, and that would have been eternity in hell. But instead, for those who believe, He gave His life that we might be saved. And so if you feel the weight of sin, if you know that things aren't right with God, if you, if you, tr- if you feel trapped, then... Faith in Christ, repentance of sin in Christ, trusting that Jesus can save you. That's how you become a believer in Jesus Christ. That's how eternal life happens. And then because Jesus rose again, has the first fruit, we will rise again and we will live forever. You know how simple that message is? But 75, 80% of our neighbors either don't know it or they've rejected it. And so somebody has to walk into here and give them the gospel message and take their hands and pull them free. And the only way we can do that is leave the world behind so that we have the power in order to go back in and save it. Somebody has to do it. There has to be an urgency. Because if there's not an urgency, people are going to die and they are dying all around us, both physically and spiritually and, of course, eternally. The second thing we want to do, along with remember where we came from, is we want to seek the things of God and not of culture. 
We need to be seeking the things of God and not of culture. Look again at the second half of verse 1 and 2. We see this idea of leaving the world behind. Seeking eternal things. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Now what Paul is not saying is that we should avoid contact with the world. That would be crazy. Culture has never needed us more than it needs us now. We need to interact with culture. We need to interact with those who don't know Jesus. But what Paul is saying is that there's a power beyond this world that we can attach ourselves to so that we can be effective believers. That's what he's saying. And our disposition can be so attractive, as Romans 12 says, we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And this is what it looks like. If you look at Philippians, Paul was all about the joy of what it looks like when our lives are being transferred. So in Philippians, here's the second Corinthians passage first. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. That's that idea of fixing our eyes on Christ. Now to Philippians. Take a look at what this life looks like in the end. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. How many things in our lives can we say are worthy of this list that we interact with every day? And I ask you to look at this list and then I'll ask you a question. Is our world at all like this? (laughs) Not really. And so the people that are trapped in that pre-Christ world don't know what this is all about unless we show them. That's why we have to leave the world behind in order to save it. And we have to seek the things of Christ. Pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, worthy of praise. There has to be a sense that our transformation as believers, that our sanctification is for a reason. It's to glorify God. And the way God is glorified is when people come to know Him. It's not all about us. We need to reach back and save the world. I like this quote by John Piper that really talks about urgency fight for us O god that we not drift numb and blind and foolish into vain and empty excitements life is too short too precious too painful to waste on worldly bubbles that burst heaven is too great hell is too horrible eternity is too long that we should putter around on the porch of eternity But we spend so much of our lives puttering around on the porch of eternity. And somehow, church, somehow Christ becomes this compartment that we have. We like the compartment because our friends are in the compartment. We have a security blanket in the compartment. We enjoy Jesus. We love Jesus. But somehow, we're puttering around the porch of eternity while people are lost. Hell is too horrible. Eternity is too long to be doing this. And so we have to continually examine what captures our heart. Tim Keller says, what you daydream about 
is what your idol is. So what do you daydream about? Do you daydream about amassing a, a financial fortune that can make you secure for the rest of your life? Do you dream about toys like boats and cars so you can keep up with your neighbors? And, and you can say this, well, I deserve it, I work hard. Yes, there's nothing wrong with that, but what is your idol? Perfect house, perfect job, perfect spouse, perfect kids. Or your next high on pornography, alcohol, drugs, adoration, affirmation. What's your idol? If if you can't escape your idols, you're going to be puttering around on the porch of eternity and you're not going to be able to reach back and save these people that are desperately in need of saving. And so remember where you came from. That's how you have empathy. That's how you can make an impact. Set your minds on things above. And then thirdly, I want you to find your fulfillment in Christ. Our fulfillment, our contentment, everything we need is in Christ. Verse 4 helps us to see that Jesus is our life. This is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. I could preach a sermon on this one verse and I wouldn't bore you. I don't think. Because it's so powerful. Look at it. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. When Christ, who is your life, not a part of your life, not a, not a section of your life, not something that you put over here, who, Christ, who is your life. We are not like the world. We are believers in Jesus Christ. We have signed up to be disciples of Jesus Christ. He is our life. And even better, we have been raised with Him into glory. So don't seek these things. Be content in Christ. This is a great theologian, J.B. Lightfoot, and I like what he says here. The veil which now shrouds your higher life from others and even partly from yourselves will then be withdrawn. The world which persecutes, despises, ignores now will then be blinded with the dazzling glory of the revelation. Why do we spend so much time falling in love with this world when it's going to disappear? When over and over the psalmist says, my life is but a breath. I'm like grass that grows and I'm gone. Why? No, Paul is saying, don't do that. Look upward. Find your contentment in something that will last. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the answer for us. And so let's put this in practical terms. What does it really mean? And how do, we, how, how do we do this? This is for me now. This isn't for someone else. I love when people walk up to me after, after church and go, you know, my uncle, I, I, I'm glad. He, I, wish, I wish he could hear this. Well, no, what? Did you hear it? This isn't for your uncle. It's for you. Now, your uncle may, you know, I don't know your uncle. Maybe your uncle needs it more than you. I don't know. But first, firstly, if you want to leave the world behind to save it, you need to stay humble. You need to stay humble. And this goes to remembering where we came from. If you think you're better than someone else, if you think that your sin isn't as ugly as someone else, then you have no chance of going here and affecting anyone. Because your arrogance, your pride, will keep you from interacting, and it will be smelled out in a second by the people who are trapped in this world. Stay humble. I know for me, 
When I listen to you all talk, I'm definitely aware of my past and my sin. I, I don't like thinking about it. I don't like talking about it because there's so much shame attached to it. But sometimes I need to go back and I need to remember what life was like before I got myself right with Christ because I have to understand that I have no hope but through Christ and it helps me remember where I came from. And gratitude feels urgency. Gratitude feels passion. The thing I love about Teen Challenge is that there is a freshness, there is a, an overwhelming sense that Jesus has brought me from death to life You're not spoiled by years in church. This is what the early church was meant to be like. When I walk in to speak at one of the chapels, the Teen Challenge, man, it's like you walked into the Acts Church. It's awesome. There's no pretense. People are dancing. They're singing. Hands are in the air. Why? Because they're excited that Jesus has saved them. Are you excited that Jesus has saved you? Or have you written that off on that's past? I don't really need that stuff. I'm just going to live out my life. Don't do it. Stay humble. Secondly, take an inventory on what you think about. Seek the things that are above. Are the things that you're dwelling on helpful? Are they attached to that Philippians list? Because if you don't seek the things that are above, these people over here are not going to see anything different in you. So stay humble and then do that and also do this. Be content with Christ. Be content with Christ. You don't need anything else besides Christ. You don't need a better better job. You don't need a better spouse. You don't need better kids. You don't need a better house. You don't need a better environment. What you need is to be content in Jesus. And and the unfortunate thing about what's happening in our churches today is that we see Jesus as a ticket to a better life. And yes, there there is a sanctification process that frees us from sin. But Jesus isn't a ticket. He's our greatest treasure. We're we're to love Jesus, not to use Him to get through the turnstiles of life. We're so discontented. And I don't want you to end up like the Israelites ended up. This This is such a powerful glimpse of what happens when we try to go after the things of culture. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. When you chase the things of the world, there will come a time when that cistern will break and all of the joy and the power and the fulfillment you thought was going to come will be like sand in your fingers. It'll be gone. Unless you chase after Christ. And as a shepherd, I want you to come to Christ. I want you to... I want you to drink at the pool of living water. I want you to graze in the fields of Jesus. I don't want you digging cisterns that fall apart in your hands. 70% at least of our neighbors and friends have no idea what we're talking about. And when I was on vacation and not in church... 
I was in church. I was watching us on live stream. So I was worshiping. So don't accuse me of not going to church. I know it's going to happen now. You know, pastor doesn't even go to church when he's not here. No, it's not true. But one thing I noticed was how many people aren't in church. And they have no conception of what it seems like being in church. And so if you're, if you're a believer, will you please connect with this passage? Will you please think about what it would be like in your life to recommit yourself, to redo things, to make Jesus your treasure, to make Jesus who is your life the number one thing? And if you're not a believer, will you consider the gospel? Will you listen to what they're saying to you? That there's hope where they found no hope before. Simply through belief in Jesus and His broken body that died on the cross for us and that He rose again. So what I want you to do is just take a moment. I want you to reflect on this. I will close in prayer and then they're going to come and sing another song. But just take a moment of quiet now and bow your heads and allow God to speak to you where you are. While you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, is there anyone here that would like just to recommit yourself to following Jesus as your number one thing. You realize that somehow it's just become a thing and it's not your number one thing. Just raise your hand where you are. Thank you for that. see many hands around the sanctuary. It's awesome. Praise God. Is there anyone here that has never come into relationship with Jesus and now's the time when you want to say, now I want to be a Jesus follower. I believe in Jesus. Raise your hand where you are. Thank you for that. Thanks for that hand. Thank you very much for that. God, thank you for the work you've done here today and that you're doing. And I look forward now as the choir comes and sings and reaffirms what we've learned from our text. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for truth. We love you, Jesus. And I say this in your name. Amen. I'd like to invite the choir back to sing another song for us. And don't forget, as soon as we're finished, we're going to have a free will offering for them. And I'd love you to participate. And remember to write your checks out to Teen Challenge and not Ridgewood Church. Look forward to what you have for us.